Hello, Alexandra Peters. How are you today? Uh, You know, I got to do an amazing introduction. First of all, I always do full disclosure if I know the person, the woman that I'm interviewing, but I don't think that Alexandra and I have spoken verbally. We've emailed a couple of times over the years, but it might be 25 years. It could be be even a little bit longer. Yeah. And there I was on Facebook and I'm scrolling through and I see on Alexandra's uh, page that she's got an exhibit opening, which are samplers from, you know, mostly 1800. Now that I've done a little homework, you're going to, we're going to talk more and you'll be able to walk us through, but she collects samplers and they were doing this major exhibit in Connecticut. And I started reading about it and looking at it and I was blown away, Alexandra. I'm so excited you agreed to talk with me today because I think all of us know what a sampler is, although could you just take a second or two to define it? Yeah. Yeah. You can, you can see them behind me here on the on um, the walls. I I have the whole show up. It's like there's all over my house. Um, And for those uh, of you who are listening to our podcast, which is half of our viewership, um, we're going to have pictures underneath the podcast and we're going to have a website page where you can click and go look at the the pieces as uh, if you'd like. So just to stick that in there. So what they are is they they were made by uh, almost invariably made by schoolgirls. They're made in schools and they are how girls demonstrated their literacy, their what they knew about. Um, uh, well, that's going into also I was going to say geography and I'll show you a little something about that later. And it's uh, it's something that women have always done because needlework was is an incredibly important job. And you have to. When you consider that until the Industrial Revolution, which is somewhere that begins somewhere in the first half of the 1800s, every single thing ever that anyone wore, any textile that anyone used was stitched by hand. Everything, shrouds, bags, clothing, sheets, uh, napkins, anything. And that was the work of women. So girls were in a way apprenticing for that. They're learning because this was a lifelong job that women had that we don't even comprehend because we just go by clothes. Well, it's it's funny because I remember, um, you know, when our kids, the reason we knew each other way back then is our, our kids were at the same school, the Trevor Day School, and which is a very progressive school that really tries to enhance the individuality of every student that goes there. If you're in New York City, by the way, take a look at it. It's a wonderful, <laughs> but quiet place. It's not, you know, it's not a, a showy place, but uh, my daughter thrived there. The She went there until the seventh grade. But, um, but here's, and here's what I recognized is the markers of who you were outside our family took place in school, you know, it was your report card, or it was the thing you put on the wall or you know, the, you know, it was, you know, you were in a theater thing or whatever. And back then you were mostly schooled at home, but here's the definition. And I wanted you to speak to this sampler making was seen as laying the groundwork for religious piety, family responsibility, and civic virtue through its completion. The young girl established in a most public way, meaning the samplers were, were posted or whatever they did with them, right? Her educational accomplishments and the importance of her family and community placed on that education. 
Um, I, yes, I agree with that. With the, with the exception of the part about piety, that was more British samplers. American girls, a little more feisty. Um, and Really? Okay, we're not, good. We're not as focused on, on that. It just wasn't the, the tradition or custom. And, you know, the, they don't often have little aphorisms or sayings or um, they do sometimes, um, but they're, um, and, but definitely what happened with them is that girls made them at school and then they came home where they were hung on the walls. And my samplers are from between 16, my earliest one is 1698. And most of the, the, the sampler, the, the fashion, I guess, or for, for making samplers pretty much ended in the 1840s, but I have a couple that are a little later because they're interesting. Um, so they were, um, people didn't have much in their homes at that time. There's no, no plumbing, no electricity, no whatever. So what was hanging on the walls? Samplers, maybe portraits, if you were well-to-do enough to have that. But a remarkable number of girls went to school. Most of them did go to school at some point or another. And we. this is one of those things. Oh, girls weren't educated. You know, well, that was part <laughs> of their educate. Yeah, well, yeah. it's funny because one of the things that I when I was researching for Wellesley, when I was at the Trevor Day School with Sarah, you know, we're trying to work on clerk curriculum and everything else is, you know, they started teaching boys went to school and they learned war at war because that was their role, you know, war to war to war. And so history became war to war to war. But when girls went to school, they were sewing because that was going to be their future. But here's my question. I was recently in Salem, Massachusetts, and the first girl who turned on the witches and said, you know, she knew they were witches when she didn't, was the daughter of the reverend, the fire and brimstone reverend, And she and his wife, he had them, she was working on her samplers every day for 10 hours. Now, I don't know what that even does to your eyesight. But anyway, 10 years after she accused the witches, she recanted her accusations. And then I thought, but it was also, was it, could it also be looked at, Alexandra, as a way to control girls? You're going to yeah, work and on- a lot of people suggest that it's, you know, your your eyes are down when you're sewing and that it's a way of forcing women into submission. But here's what I'll tell you. I, I made a sampler when I was, mm, I'm, I think I was in college, or right out of what? college. I know. I, Wait, well, why did you do that? You, I, I Because cause I've always been fascinated by samplers, but this was just a kit. I bought it at, um, what's that store called? Erica Wilson that used to be a, a oh, big sure, needle sure. store. Oh, sure, sure. And she was sort of the the Martha Stewart of needlework. And I bought this kit that was just cross stitch and it's very pretty and I still have it framed. And, um, and I went on, on vacation to Nova Scotia with a boyfriend who was really dull and I read war and peace and I made this sampler. And here's what I learned when you're oh making God. a sampler, your eyes are down. You're completely absorbed. It's contemplative when you're sewing. Um, if you're knitting, you can look around. <laughs> Um, if you're reading a book, you, you, your eyes, your eyes are down, but you're reading a book. It's, you're definitely sewing was a way that women could avoid, not even avoid. They didn't have to be looking around. They could go within themselves. They could daydream. They could do whatever. I I remember, I think it was Elizabeth Cady Stanton noting that women who, were ended up in prison with her um, in prison in jail, you know, wherever when they were uh, protesting um, that uh, she was annoyed that they all had their sewing with them, <laughs> the other women, because she didn't want them to be sewing because she saw that as, 
as you know, part of the the way, just as you said, that that women were sort of controlled or whatever. But in fact, I mean, maybe it, you you could see that. But also, they liked it. This is what they did. This is what was calming. And and there's a lot of tedious sewing. We all know that hems and buttons and things like that. But it's it's relaxing. It's something they were good at. And um, I don't. I think we're looking at it now through a lens of. Um, you know, this is what women were forced to do. And I don't think they were forced to do it. This is what women did. This is You know what, you know what's funny? I have to interject this story. I think you've just changed my life. My mom, when my mom was 17, she got pregnant and she went to Philadelphia. No one knew. Her mother sent her there. She gave birth. The baby was immediately removed. She, and she said back then you weren't supposed to know whether it was a boy or a girl. Um, you weren't supposed to know anything. And the nurse gently said to her, um, it's a boy and he's fine. You know, anyway, I always felt like my mother was not present. My mother had a, I would look back now and say it was a tragic life. Okay. Fast forward years and years later and she's dying. And um, I find out about this boy and he had reached out to her and she had turned him away. Anyway, again, I never felt like my mother was in the room. I felt like she was a total absentee presence. So I was able to reach him. And within a day, he was there saying goodbye and hello to his long lost mother. But my mom, the last 30 years of her life, and again, she lived a tragic life, a terrible second marriage. My father left. I mean, when I look at it now, I have empathy. Back then, I just had anger, you know, but she did needlepoint. And she needlepointed, by the way, every day, hours a day, whenever we were there. And I have so many, I was just hanging out my Christmas tree ornaments. I have a hundred Christmas tree ornaments that she needlepoint. You know, you'd get, you'd get three pillows every year and she petty pointed, which, and she, then she bought a needlepoint store and people came and they needlepointed there. And what you've just actually given me, which maybe a lot of people can take a look at is maybe that's the way my mom just got through the day. Yeah. And it's calming. It's, um, you know, it's a way you could go within yourself. I mean, Freud thought needlework was dangerous because it created hysteria. Really? Yeah, hysteria, you know, is the womb and women should not think too much about themselves, basically. Um, wow. A lot of people thought needlework was sort of dangerous because it. there are many paintings. I mean, there are so many drawings and paintings of women sewing because that's what you saw around you all the time. It's very similar to what we see now with everybody looking down at their cell phone. Um, and it's, and, but there's a number of them. Oh, where wow. I haven't even thought of that connection. Yeah. Where there's sort of like a, a devil or, you know, some sort of dashing Lothario looking man leaning over and the woman is continuing her needlepoint and, or her needlework, not needlepoint actually. Um, and that, it seemed, you know, there was some, there was a way in which it was dangerous because women were, were withheld themselves. Um, and, but you couldn't say, Chris, put that, put that sewing down when you're, you're sewing somebody's shirt or you're making a, uh, an apron or you're doing whatever it is you're doing it. This was a, a great thing. And, and the thing I think is so important about it is we have to, we tend to deride this and, and not acknowledge what women were doing. They were highly skilled. They were, um, th- they held up the economy actually, because our economy was so dependent on textiles. And, 
Um, and the, or, or many of our battles with England in, in the early years were over textiles because a lot of the linen was imported from England and the taxes on it were so high. And But linens, uh, mostly, it was almost all linen then, which we think is as fancier now than cotton, but cotton was too expensive before the cotton gin was invented and whatever. So it's it's all linen and um, typically sewn with silk, which would also have been imported. There has not been very successful. There, there have been attempts to make silk in the United States, but it's imported. Um, and um, they were, this was something, you know, this was not silly stuff. This was really, really important stuff that we, it's hard for us to see now. Uh, because, but what I've been struck by is, the um, uh, Lynn Anderson, who runs the Sampler Consortium, which is she's trying to find every sampler in the United States. Where thinks, is that? Uh, where does that consortium live? Um, in Seattle, actually, which is funny what? because there's not that many samplers out there. But but she's from the East originally. Um, and it's a fantastic thing. They're trying to find them everywhere. They want everybody to register whatever they have. And she thinks there are about 30,000. And it's a guess out there. I mean, 30,000 that have survived, you mean? Yes. Here's what we have from boys. Nothing. (laughs) Well, no, we have, we have history of wars, what we have. Well, yeah, but not boys in school. That's not true. We have have some maps from boys. We have, but we also have maps from girls. We have this incredible body of work that, that women did when they were girls. And what else is in history? Where are there girls other than in fiction? And I know everybody says Joan of Arc. Yeah, she's a warrior. Um, I'm not talking about war, as as you brought up. It's That's not what, um, um, she's remarkable, I'm sure. But, but um, what women were doing was, uh, they had an extraordinary skill that uh, girls were learning. So Alexandra, you know, this is is becoming much more fascinating than I knew it was going to be. But because now you're opening up all these doorways of the other thing is they weren't allowed to write books. The first women who started writing books, and we're talking about almost 100 years later, they basically used initials rather than their name because they wouldn't have been able to be published. Right. Mm -hmm. Okay, so. One of the things is the samplers were, it's according to what I had read you, may, uh, laying the groundwork for uh, civic virtue, but also it was a way to say who you were because you could create your sample and sampler and it was your design, et cetera. So right. I want to go to the one that I sent you. So this this one, one when I was doing ho- homework, Betsy um, Buckland, her message on her sampler was, while innocence is all our pride and virtue is our only guide, women would scorn to be defied if led by Washington. Okay, I have to assume what you're telling me is she made that up, did she? Um, maybe, mostly. I, it, um, I haven't researched that particular one. I don't know that, uh, no, I don't think anybody's found the the um, where that came from, but definitely that's... 1783 is that what it was? I don't remember I didn't um, I didn't look. yeah I didn't she, look. so it was right after the revolution and what she's it's unusual there's not usually political sentiments well that's why I, I found it and said I have to ask her what does she mean by that does she mean we would have done better in the war than they did she means that that we would defy the British and let Washington lead us oh. and Washington you know was was really an extraordinary figure because until 
1776, we broke. We had been a colonial country, a, a colony of England. And I have a number of samplers that well, I can show you one right here. Um, let's see if you can see this. Um, this this has, uh, do you see the crowns here? This is an American girl, but there are crowns on here. Wait, what does she say on there? What does it say on there? It says, let your light so shine that they may see your good work and praise you. Um, and this is Lydie Hansen, who was born in 1724 um, and she, 1722, and she died in 1824. She lived to be 102, which is one of the things that, that is really quite remarkable about so many of these women. They lived long lives. <laughs> and when she was born in the United States, there were uh, 500,000 people. And she was the subject of the king. She was a British girl. In 1776, she became an American girl. Um, actually, when she died, there were 10 million people in the United States, but it, it was just growing so quickly. So Washington was an extraordinary figure because he he was, um, you know, was a military leader and then he became president. But he really understood that revolution is a very dangerous time and for countries that that's revolution is great. And then what? That's the people aren't prepared for it. And people wanted him to be king. And he said, no, no, we're not we're not having kings here. And so he he literally went to every town um, in, uh, in America that he could, which is, you know, I live in an old house at 1794. People say to me all the time, probably Washington slept here. Right. And I said, he probably did. <laughs> I was like, I have no, no, I, no and if way. not, we can choose to believe he did right? <laughs> yeah. because he went everywhere. He was, it, it, it's hard for us to imagine quite how it's probably, you know, more like Kennedy or or somebody like that. But Kennedy was only a leader for a short time, actually died so young. Washington really held this country together. So there are many, many samplers that mention Washington in some way or another. Okay. So let's go back to the sampler you just showed us. Okay. Mm -hmm. How old was she when she did that? Um, probably 10. Let me see. I don't know. And how long would it have taken her, Alexandra? Yeah. Um, it, it, you know, it varies. Um, it, it's, um, I'm going to try not to get a reflection here. Um, but probably at least several months, maybe a year. Because months? It was so I thought you were going to say several years. Oh, no, 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 no. That many girls did many of them. Wow. And this is, this is pretty complex, but not, um, not, it's not a pictorial one. And they did, girls did a number of them. All right. Now the, the next thing, I mean, I want to stick with her because we, you know, we, I don't know that we're even going to get through it all in one hour, but, um, so you find the sampler, where'd you find that one? Um, I find most of them at auction, although I also buy from dealers who specialize in samplers. So when did you buy that? Um, when, uh, probably eight years ago, 10 years ago. Okay. And what's the price? You don't have to tell us what you paid, but what's the price point? Oh, you- samplers can range. Samplers are very affordable. Um, samplers can range from a hundred bucks to a million dollars. It's like, um, the majority of them are in the, uh, $500 to $15,000 range. And if, the, the better the condition and if especially if they have names and a name and a date and they're researchable they become more and more valuable and, okay and then how did you because i've seen samplers in garage sales you know right 
And but I you pick them up, you turn them over. There's no information about who did this sampler. How do you, I mean, I, first of all, I will tell you this about Alexander that was true 26 years ago, and I'm sure it's still true. The girl does her homework. You know, I mean, back then it would be like we, you know, she was president of the PA the, and and I was just a worker bee, but I was an active worker bee. And, you know, she would say, well, did you check this? Did you check? Your, no, no, we're just going to do it. <laughs> Like, so you find that sampler, how do you even start to research where it came from? I, I just look the girl's name up and online and whatever information I have about her. And then I, um, that's just on Google, but then I also use genealogy sites um, and see what I can find out about her. What if, you love them- the, what if you love the sampler and the name's not on it? Sometimes I can tell just looking at it, like generally what region it's from, what kind of sampler it is. I That really looks quite British, that sampler, because really? she was sort of a British girl because everybody was till 1776. And um, and sometimes, um, yeah, a lot of the time I can I can sort of guess at the region and sometimes I'm really right and I'm very impressed with myself. Um, and I can pretty much tell British ones from American ones, although again, there's a lot of that's that's a little more complicated. Um, and then I there um, I just try and go down any rabbit hole, any information that's on there, anything it's saying. And some of them lead to, well, I want to show you my absolute favorite these days. This one behind me. By the way, I'm not sure you should say that because it's like a favorite child. Oh, I know. I, I, I think know. you should be very Sorry, careful. girls. <laughs> they are all my favorites. Okay. They're all my yeah, favorites. exactly. All right. Right. So that's the one behind you. It's funny. I was looking at it. I think it says genealogy at the top, right? It says genealogy. And when I bought it at auction, it said um, a Connecticut sampler. And I was thinking that's not a Connecticut sampler, but I just, but how did, wait, how did you know that? Um, it looks like a, a, looks like a sampler from Massachusetts or Maine. But, but tell me what about it told you that just the style, um, the flowers around it and the, the word genealogy and that kind of Holbein stitch. She's done her homework, ladies and gentlemen. um, (laughs) When I looked this up, the first thing I found because it's a genealogy, it's got everybody's names on it. And it is the family of Mahitabel Griffin. And Mahitabel was a very common name then, which is funny. Names go in and out of fashion. I have a lot of Mahitables and her nickname was Hitty. I learned quickly. She married William Swain in 1800 and then had four children with him, but he died when she was pregnant with the fourth. And then she very quickly married Francis Houston and had eight more children with him. And it's not uncommon for women to have 12 children at that time. It would probably most, be like a lot of them didn't survive though. Right. I mean, they didn't all usually, you know, I don't see that particularly people keep saying that to me. I mean, I think yes, childbirth was definitely always risky, but um, I see more often the, the husband who died. <laughs> and then the, that works the, for me. <laughs> yeah. um, and then he, down What's remarkable about this, first of all, is that all the children survived. The first one to die is Pamelia, who died at 19. And that's right next to it is, I I just got this recently, so it's very dark. It hasn't, the frame is shabby. I I try to have things framed as soon as possible because they're so fragile samplers that you, light is the first problem. That's why this room is kind of dark. And um, in, in this family, um, there are all their 12 children and Zilfea, 
This is Stetson family, died January 23rd, 1792. Euthana Stetson died, um, no wait, uh, Lydia Stetson died January 23rd, 1792. Um, Elsie died February 25th, 1792. And Lucy died December 2nd, 1791. That's four kids in six weeks. Um, That's diphtheria, which now- now Just out of curiosity, going back to your favorite child- um, did you ever try to find a sampler done by any of her children? Oh yeah. Oh, and then occasionally I, I love sisters. I have a whole bunch of sisters occasionally. Really? Have, yeah. Um, they're really fascinating because they're often from the same sort of basic pattern, but they come out differently. Alexandra, um, how is it, how did they survive? Because that, when I'm looking at this, you know, I'm not sure that in its day, or let's say in the early 20th century, they wouldn't call that art. They wouldn't allow that to be called art. I don't think they wouldn't have, you know, the, the artistic community wouldn't have said these are artistic works. No, but they are creative there. And, and girls could, could, you know, they had license to do what, this is not a particularly creative or interesting one. This is a very creative. But how did all these things survive rather than just getting thrown out when grandma died? Um, they, a a lot of them are still hanging on walls and a lot of them are in drawers or somewhere where they were protected from light. You know, insects are also do a tremendous damage, um, water, smoke, um, all the things that can damage, but light, if they were displayed in particular is really, um, damaging. Also, my next thing is I went to the university of Nebraska and one of the things that I've been able to find when I go back to Nebraska is first edition books, all kinds of things that Nebraskans stick in there. And I'll always say to my friend, How, can you know, can I go up to the attic? You know, um, because up there are some of the great treasures that have been found. I mean, there was a Van Gogh found in a barn in Iowa, I think. Okay. Are there a lot that have survived from the Midwest from back then? Or most of these East Coast, West Coast? What They're is- mostly East Coast. I have a set of three, mother, daughter, and sister-in-law from Ohio, but Ohio, the first settlers arrived in 1800. So these ones are from 1824 to 18, somewhere in the 1820s, the, 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 the mother and sister-in-law, and then the daughter is the, is in um, late 1830s. Um, they just were later because the Midwest wasn't settled until then. And, um, and then I have one that's from a girl whose mother was a teacher in the in California during the gold rush. And that's 1850s because that's when, that's when women began to come out to settle out there with their children. And so no, there are not as many. Um, I wonder if they are there, just nobody's gone to the attic. Do you know what I mean? Like, but but the, the, the sort of people made samplers until the 1830s, 1840s, and that's when those states were being settled. So typically everything was a little later there because they took the fashions with them that were that they had known and that kind of stayed that way but but I really would like to go back to this one because what I want to tell you about this one that's really interesting when I started to research it 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 came up immediately that these are this is a black family and this is a black family um this is such a beautiful optimistic wait when was it done when was it done it, it was I'm not sure which girl did it which is often true with a genealogy sampler that it's not signed but because the uh, uh, there's a daughter who died in 1829, I think it was done in the in 
1829 to 1835. But they had to be free. I mean, slaves didn't do this, right? They are um, they are a free Black family. They are very prominent. He, Their father, um, the second husband, Francis Houston, was a leader in the community. They are also um, acknowledged to be conductors on the Underground Railroad. And oh ev- ev- everybody, you know, th- thinks that there were people who... Um, I mean, the idea of the mis- of the Underground Railroad is somewhat misunderstood. There are people who are looking for the stations, and no, it's it's a metaphor. It's just people. So wait, were... what's the earliest person on there? What's the earliest date from the from, earliest? Uh, the mother, Mehetable, born 1781, and I guess her her the first husband, William Swain, 1774. But they so... could have been slaves. That's possible. Maybe it goes. Is that possible that it that it's it's possible? There also were in. Uh, there was uh, Maine, which people think of as such a white state, actually had a, a lot of black communities. Well, I was and... going to say, I live in Maine now. I moved there two year, here two years ago. Uh, Washington was here a lot, too. It's, it Maine's, you know, nobody talks about it, but there was a lot going on here. No question. There was a lot going on. And there there because it's so close to Canada, there were um, a lot of people came through to to go to Canada where they a, a lot of um um, freedom seekers, as they're called now, that used to be called fugitive slaves, but that romanticizes it and whatever. They're freedom seekers. And and then a lot of people settled there because um, about a third of the, of the mariners at the time were Black. And um, so it, that's something Black men could do, go to sea. And so they ended up in Portland or Brunswick or um, and uh, settled there because they met a girl or something. Um, and isn't that the, and you know, just was, like the, yeah, exactly. Wait, I, I've got to go back. That would be my favorite as well. So oh, it's, what, it's, what was her, what was, it was, what? it's so moving because you look at this one right next to it, which is a, a pretty prominent family also in, um, um, Look at how well it's done. Can you can you take it off the wall, or you don't want to? I can't actually. It's so okay. Don't, no worries. No worries. No worries. Um, it's beautifully done, and there are these gorgeous roses around it. It's in very good condition. And, and you think it, that only took her a few months to do? Yeah, probably. I mean, because girls went to school. They didn't go to school the way we do now, where you go start in September and go to till June. You went when there was an opening, <laughs> and you might be there for three years, and you might be there for three months. So. But this is this would have been done by a, a, a girl in her teens, or you know between twelve and sixteen, and um, a, with a family who could afford to be sending a daughter at a board. This is a boarding school, most uh, where this was done. Most how do you know? How do you know? Because that's what the, the boarding schools produced, um, and and because it, unless there happened to be a school locally to you, you pretty much had to go live at a school because it was so rural, the United States. And so, if you lived in Boston, you might not have gone to a boarding school. But if you if you lived, um, you know, Bath and Brunswick, which are right next to each other. Um, were big towns, but they were tiny towns. Um, you know, this is such an extraordinary story. And we're, you know, again, we're going to, I think I'm going to have to come back and we're going to have to do a second hour, but can you also show the one I asked you to bring, which um, makes oh, me, yeah. yeah, which makes me weep. I don't know why, but. Oh, um, because, because it's so moving. So this was made by this is a, um, a three-dimensional sampler. It's a globe. What we're okay. looking at is a globe. It looks like a large baseball. Looks like the surface looks almost like a baseball. But for those on the podcast, this is how big it is. It's um, it's it's, the, it's half the size of her head. 
and it is very, very fragile. I I generally have it under two, I have it under a glass and then under acrylic, and then I cover it with something else because it's, I don't even, I don't touch it ever. Um, and what girls did, at, it was done at the Westtown School. But is this in, unusual? Because it was the only very one. Very unusual. Okay. And there are, I'm not sure, 32 or 33 of these known to exist. And this has a number, it's like number three or something. And and it, um, they made them at school. It was very difficult. And at the time, most people would never have seen a globe. They, um, so the, the school might have owned one, but there weren't very many in the United States. It was those were things that were difficult. But also, did she do it in pieces, Alexandra? How yes, did she create? I don't know if you can see that there are sort of grapefruit it's so unbelievable. wedges. Um, oh. and and um, it's a it's a little tattered. You see the threads coming out here. I, I'm not touching those. <laughs> um, <laughs> what she did was to sew, um, it's stuffed with sheep's wool from the school had sheep because everybody would have. And, and um, then she put linen around the it. And then she sewed slices there. It's like grapefruit wedges, that sort of thing. And it looks to me like it was, sti- it, it, there was, there were ink, um, there was ink underneath it, and then she sewed over that. And there are some of them are in very good condition. This one is not in great condition, but it's still amazing. Um, and I, it came with a piece of paper. That, How did you find it? I found it at an auction online, and I knew exactly what it was. Um, and I thought I was prepared to spend a lot of money on it, and it, it really didn't go for very much money. So, which was so that's one of the things about auctions, you know, you just don't know, you don't know, um, because it's totally well known what this is. It may be something that many people don't necessarily want because I called the archivist at Westtown School, they have about 12, I think, of them. And I said to her, How do you display them? And she said, We don't display them. I'm like, Oh, okay. <laughs> um, and yeah, would so, she say um, why they don't? Because they're so fragile. They really shouldn't be exposed to light at all. And I don't, maybe if they have a special show, they'll display them or something. So oh, I, well, by the um, way, like the Smithsonian, do they have a collection? I mean, I'm trying to think, wh- why have I not seen oh. it before? Do they, does the Smithsonian have a room of, in other words, why um, is this not, I mean, the first time I ever even knew people were showing samplers was when I came across your Facebook feed. Yeah. Why and I is think this such an undervalued is, piece of, of, of history? Well, it's, it's part, you know what, it's part of our, the way we look at women. And um, I've been thinking a lot about, you know, that now it is fashionable for girls to say, you know, talk about resistance and rebellion. And, you know, and look, th- these girls, none of these girls voted. <laughs> none of my girls voted because they, they died before the, the vote. Um, well, they couldn't have voted even if they, yeah, I was going to say. Right. They, they didn't live long enough to be able to do that. There was coverture, which meant that the husbands owned everything of wives. Look, definitely girls, even now, women don't make as much as men do in the same jobs. We know all of this. But it's it's about looking at things from different angles. You know, there's a, do you ever seen that that slogan, well-behaved women never make history. Yeah. Um, that comes from Laurel Thatcher Ulrich, who is a, uh, a historian of women. And she she actually said, well-behaved women seldom make history. It's taken to mean now you got to act out and whatever. And she didn't mean that at all. She meant women make a different, we don't make men's history. 
men's history, as you said earlier, is really about war. And even the things that the things that girls will talk about, like rebel or whatever, this is, you know, that's against men um, or against something. No, it, like, what do you what can we not value what women did and what women were and what they accomplished? And how can we not value things like the the skills, this extraordinary skill um, which we tend to sort of like, oh, it's cute. That's sweet or whatever. It wasn't, it was like really hard work. Well, it's really... so funny you're saying that because now I'm thinking about it. If you think about the museums, you know, I've spent a lot of time in the museums, a lot of it in, in, in Europe, actually, a lot of the paintings are about war. They are, they're male-based paintings. No question. Well, and you know? That's what we, that's what history is, is deeds yeah. and action and conquest yeah. and victory and glory and that's not what women do as much. And it's not that women shouldn't have great jobs and go out and do whatever they want. And, you know, look at your daughter and mine or whatever. It's like, um, that's wonderful. Or, um, but, it, but we go about it differently. And the, the, all, the, the modern conception of resistance is, is really about men, ultimately. And what I want is for us to value us and who we are, what we've, what we've accomplished and how we see the world differently. So, I mean, you know, this was not on my a list of things that I sent you that I might want to chat about. I never uh, tell anybody the questions beforehand, but I try to at least give some context and have preparation. But I think it's so important. And that is, Okay, so Alexandra, and we're going to get back to the collection and everything in a minute. You've collected all this, and you clearly have a passion about your belief about how important it is. So what is it you want to happen next for mm. sampler? For the samplers to take their proper place in history, what, you know, I don't know, how, are there a lot of people like you out there? I don't know any, but are, you know, in other words, if if you could have your druthers, what does the next five years hold for the fact that this is the first show I think you've done of these of your collection, yep. right? Okay, what's how can we as women say, okay, part of changing the way we're perceived is to also change what's shown as art and you know, in other words, this is an important exact what's thank you, what's valued. So what what would what do you want to see happen? I would like to see more of this. And this is a complicated show to hang. Um, um, but more, this is the first one that I know of that was done in the United States for several years. Of course, there was COVID, but it's um, there. Are, there, it's unusual to have a show that's just samplers. Samplers do appear in different. What kind uh, of shows places. do they appear in? Um, you know, uh, the New York Historical Society, I just saw a couple recently, there's a show right now at the Smithsonian called Girls, It's Complicated. I think that's where that sampler you were talking about the um, earlier, that's where that is right now. And, um, you know, they're, they're part of, of other things. And, um, but to just show them as a group themselves um, was, you know, it was very bold of Sharon Historical Society where, um, who invited me to do this. Um, no, wait, the, um, but tell me how many, what was there a true interest once the show I went I was up? just going to say that was, we were, I was completely surprised because I was like, well, my friends will come, you know, um, but um, so many people came. And uh, one of the interesting things to me is that men were blown away by it too. It's sort of a friend. I was just going to say, and what was the gender, you know, what, what were the demographics? Certainly more women than men came. And, okay. but um, men did come and um, 
a friend who um, is a curator herself, um, her, they were coming for dinner and her, she said to her husband, you got to go see this before we have dinner. It's a polite thing to do. So he told me this story. And then he said at dinner, um, I went because, you know, I felt like I had to, but I got to say, I was blown away because, because it's a history exhibit. It's about history as seen through the lens of girls or using girls. I mean, I really have studied a lot the, the, um, um, the history of of blacks. There are only I don't know how many thirty thirty five samplers known f- for sure to be done by black girls. Wow. Out of thirty five thousand, you mentioned earlier, right? Yeah. So it's you know it's a very small number. There may be more, and we just don't by the way know. that's not even one percent. I know. Um, we is, is you, that it's know. one is it one no it's not even one percent. It's a little yeah, and no, it's it's one percent. You're talking about one percent. Okay, does that mean they didn't make them or were they trying to forge their own sense of women back then? Was there still- Oh, they definitely made them. There were, you know, there weren't that many uh, free Blacks. There were enslaved Blacks and and they certainly knew how to sew Black women. Um, um, Did they get to keep them or use them or or how did they hold on to them? No, there's, uh, that would have been very difficult. Um, I mean, women didn't own themselves, (laughs) let alone their- uh, enslaved people, uh, they they didn't their their children were um, could be taken from them. They they were see, women were seen as breeders. It's I mean it's so. The more I learn, the more I'm like, oh, I, I I knew this stuff, but I didn't. There's something about this feeling so connected to this family and researching them and discovering what incredibly fine people they were. They took risks that were extraordinary to help other people. What would you, um, what would you, what would you say to her if you met her today? The, the girl, one, any of your the, favorite the, child. <laughs> well, I don't know which one it is. There's a, a number of these, okay. but I would say you are amazing. Um, <laughs> what, and what, and what an interesting, fascinating. Oh, I want to show you actually, this is, um, this is a book that I bought on amazon.com. Um, it's just it's reading it's the tame of the title of the book is light and truth colored and the Indian race. Okay. Collected from the Bible, the Bible and ancient and modern history containing the universal history of the um, colored and Indian race. It is written by the husband of one of these girls and it has been in print for 188 years. Most books in print have the shelf life of yogurt basically. Um, and the, Does, this some of them is, don't ever get to be on a shelf. They don't even right, show exactly. exactly. <laughs> um, and um, and sometimes a lot of people nobody eats the yogurt. We could could carry this on, but exactly. but this is quite an extraordinary family because this girl married uh, one of the most educated, an extraordinarily educated man who could write. This is an um, an ethnology of of um, black and colored, as he called them, races. People are still using it. And um, so they were an educated enough family that she could meet and marry and um, um, be with somebody like this. This, uh, this, by the way, was the first book that was written, marketed, produced, created. Everything was done by Black people, which who even knew that that was happening? But free Blacks lived under extraordinary uh, danger and odds. And that became even worse as the century went on until the Emancipation Proclamation um, in 1960. Uh, so was all of this history, I mean, again, she does her homework, um, but did the history 
of what was happening in our country at that time come to you as you started to love and collect samplers or were you, did you always have this in your head? No, I, you're exactly right. It was, it's like, uh, I'm, a, I'm actually, I was a British child. I came here when I was 10. I had no idea because they probably still don't teach it that, that I thought we gave you America, you know, you can have it. Thanks. I had no idea there was a revolution or anything. I really knew nothing about American history. And then I, um, through samplers, I've become fascinated by it because it's very accessible in this way. And I love seeing it through the lens of women's lives and girls' lives. And um, which is um, which is not about, I mean, it may indirectly be about war, you know, like George Washington's we were talking about before or whatever, but it's, um, it's a different, it's a different viewpoint. And, um, and it's, they're all, they're so different. They look different. They represent different things. They're, they were made for different reasons. So I will show you one last thing. Excuse me. Wait, before, before you show me that in Uh doing my homework on you, um, and by the way, again, I knew her and I, I've all, we've always known how very bright you are, but you went to Chapin in New York city. Hello. Right. Okay. Cum laude from Finch college. And then a degree in psychology from uh, a master's degree. Yeah. From Columbia. Okay. Alexandra, you know, again, running out of time here, but um, do you ever look at them and think this, this, in other words, is there, what's the psychological aspect of the differences between them? So the fact I'm looking at the genealogy one and I studied psychology, but of course I didn't get the final degree in the end, but, um, but I'm thinking genealogy, it's very complex. For those of you who can't see it, it's a major, major work. She did a lot of work to put that together. Every letter is exactly the same size. I mean, I think from the ones that I viewed, it was one of the strongest ones by far. Okay. I, what I see in that psychologically is pride, tremendous. I pride completely agree with family. you. Family, And then I'm like, okay. So when I saw that, when I saw the picture and I knew you were going to talk about that one, because you mentioned it in a couple of other interviews. I'm like, she's going to, she'll, she'll go, she'll go there. And you did. Okay. I, I, I loved that. You know, like it says, you know, that it was a way Absolutely. for them to express. This themselves. is my family and look how healthy and, and beautiful. And I love them so much and look how well everyone's doing. Um, well, but do you see psychological things in others? I mean, the psychologist has to come out in you. Oh, absolutely. That's what's so charming and fascinating about them is you, there you and, and then I can go and discover all sorts of different little things about the family that, you know, may turn up all sorts of of different. Well, I'll show you I just this one, this girl. This is done in the sixth year of her age. She was five. Um, Wait, she was five when she did that? She was five when she did that. Um, her name is Zabaya, another name we don't have in around anymore, but I've run into. Zabaya Cravath Brown. She lived in Boston, Massachusetts. And this this is a very, um, it's a very lively and complex it's quite thing. Lo- it's quite large. It's a lot of letters. It's not, there's not the perfection of some of the others you've shown. But it, exactly. Very interesting. But it's, but it's yeah. sort of an animated, interesting pattern. Um, she comes from a family of very well-known. But she looks uh, happy to me. That one looks like she was a happy kid. Well, her m- mother died in childbirth. So she wasn't, probably had went kid. to boarding school very young or like three or four, which seems extraordinary to us, but they often sometimes did. Or she had a governess who 
worked with her all the time. Um, so um, when I really looked at that afterwards, I could really, I could, I could see them. Okay. So she really felt good because she did that. What she did was amazing for a five-year-old girl. Just but think it also it. looks free and happy. It doesn't look like yeah. somebody who's depressed or repressed or I, and I don't, I don't have a right to say that, but psychologically I saw some of the, and some, it's interesting. So you do look at them from that. Oh, you know, absolutely. And I want to try and learn about them as much as I can. Um, and sometimes you can really, what was know, the most surprising thing you found out about somebody after you bought their work? Hmm. Um, surprising thing. Uh, or the thing that was like, oh my God, who knew, you know, the, was there an aha moment with any of them where it's like, you know, thank you for this surviving of you matters, you know, there, well, there are a couple of them, particularly the sisters ones that I, I find so moving that the sisters are often, you know, 12, 15, 20 years apart, because if you had started yeah. having babies at 20 and you had eight to 12, you had babies well into your forties, just like women do now. That was sort of a surprise to me. I thought that was a modern thing. Um, and they, um, but the sisters mm -hmm. ones are very moving because you can see they're different people and they had, they interpreted things differently. And, and another thing that's very, can you show moving, us one set of two sisters? I mean, is there anything um, nearby? It's fine. If not, it'd be interesting to see if we can see the, you know, the similarities and differences. Okay. All right. On this wall over here next to the door, uh -huh. there's a set of um, uh, my hand. There's a set. There are um, several set. The two down on the bottom are, are girls from Northern England. And they, um, they did the same exact same words, slightly different sizes and I would never have figured out who they were, except that because they had picked out the dates. And that is something that happens often. It's because they're, well, if you're a 29-year-old woman, you, you don't really want to advertise that if you're not married. Um, if you're 55, maybe you feel oh, that's interesting about yeah. that. Yeah, yeah so, that's, a, that's a secret not to be told. Exactly. Um, oh, I wish I had taken down some of these there. There are two little ones right above, um, up there, yeah, that um, are also sisters, and they spell their name differently. Well, um, you know, I hope we can, you know, we're, we are out of time, but I hope we can come back. And, you know, this was so helpful, but we didn't show as many of them as we had hoped to show. But I do have a couple of questions I want to wrap up with. Okay, so I did send this to her beforehand. I was saying to myself, okay, if I were to make a sampler today... <laughs> What would it say? Did you come up with something or had you thought about that before? You know, what I love are, I mean, first of all, the only things I could come up with really were lines I realized were from the Beatles. Um, wait, wait, but which one? Let it be? Um, um, all we need oh, is love. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. It's sort of like that. Th those are, that's, those were the slogans or t whatever of, of our youth. Right. Um, but then what I really like are less, uh, not as much slogans. I love the pictorial samplers that are very complex. I don't know if I can show you, see if I can do it. There is one up on the wall. Wait, that's a sampler? That is a sampler. And it is, um, it's what girls did in later years. It's, it's it looks like, a by the way, that looks like a painting. That does not look Doesn't like it? a sampler. And yeah. It is, um, that is of, um, the scene is Hector and Andromache. And um, it, uh, it, those things are so passionate and so moving. And you, 
I've never read anything about this, but what I saw right away was like, oh, this is a teenage girl. This is a girl. This is, she didn't have books to read. She didn't have whatever. But what she was sewing was a moment of passion and drama and intensity. And almost all of these pictorial samplers are like that, that that's Alexander, were the women, were the young, the girls, women, were they able to choose what they put on or were they told what to put on? I think, I think both. You can see that sometimes they did. Sometimes the teachers actually, I I am told, actually um, drew the faces or whatever. Um, And I can see from sisters samplers, which may have the same framework, that they interpreted them in different ways. You know, it's funny because what I, you know, I'm in marketing and strategy and in my day job when I'm not thinking about women. And um, I decided that I I spent a lot of time picking my sampler. So my sampler is going to say sometimes more is just more, not better. (laughs) And um, which, by the way, is a mantra that I remind myself of in pretty much every aspect of my life. Okay, but that I thought would be fun to put out there. And I want to put that out here. We have thousands of people who watch and listen to us. Um, What would your sampler say? And then if you could hashtag sampler (laughs) 2.0, or maybe we'll do hashtag her sampler 2022. We'd love to know. And then we're going to have some of our design team at Blue Shoe. We're going to have them show what it would look like in a sampler because- (laughs) Maybe one of the ways to get this prominent again is to say, you know what? You got something to say. You could spend a little more time than just sticking it on a meme. You know what I mean? I don't know. Um, yeah, and know. different people. I don't know. The the um, uh, Molly Jongfast, um, thought leader nowadays, she does little or somebody does little embroideries that she posts. Um, there's Elaine Rychek, a very well-known artist who... Uh, sort of does modern samplers that say outrageous things. How do you spell right check in case somebody wants R-E-I-C-H-E-K. To. Okay. Um, there are a lot of textile, people using textiles now to express feelings or whatever. Um, and, you know, it has kind of gone out of fashion to do petty point, which is different from embroidery. That By the way, I, my mom, I don't know how her her eyes survived all those years. It's really hard I, it, to do it. I don't yeah. know either. I know that it makes your fingers more supple. You're less likely to have arthritis. And I mean, I do needlepoint. She taught me to do it, but she did petty point. It's a whole nother can of worms. Whole nother yeah. can. Um, so I'm going to also, we're, we have to end with something fun. You surprised me before we started. She showed me something that she wanted to show. I like, I'm like, of course, but who thought of it? Do you want to show us your, your box? Oh, yes. <laughs> okay. So, you know, Hello? this right? Oh Whitman God. sampler, you can get it in supermarkets and whatever. And Mr. Whitman was a chocolate maker who, um, uh, watched his mother making a sampler. And he thought, well, that's a really good way, you know, to sell uh, chocolates where you get to choose and pick what you like. They don't last. I would show you the chocolates, but there's only one left in the box because I cannot bring them home. But Mr. Whitman, anyway. Why would you want idea... to? Leave them in the car where nobody knows they are. You know? <laughs> exactly. This this became um, Whitman sampler. We all know that idea of a sampler. It is the same idea of a sam- samples of whatever. Now, do you know became... who owns Whitman's sampler now? It was, it was bought by pet i think then and i don't know who's bought them but he was a big sampler collector and he gave his collection to the philadelphia museum of art 
So I oh, they is come it shown the there or is it in the basement? I hate it. No, when no, it's and it's shown. And I was going to say I come across them all the time in context of something or other. Some of the time they're not shown, but there's a lot of museums have fantastic the. Uh, views. I mean, you, you can look at samplers and learn all about them. The Metropolitan Museum of Art in particular is really extraordinary. Good to know. Good to know. But we will it. send them a copy of this, uh, of this interview. <laughs> we'll send, you know, and say that you, and then the other thing that I, you know, that I wanted to say is that I told my, my daughter that I was, you know, seeing you and I, you know, I said, she's got this amazing sampler connection collection. And she goes, what? you know, you know, she had no idea what it yeah. really was. And my daughter is a very well-educated person. She knew what they were, but she didn't get it, you know? And right. then it's like, I, you know, I'm obviously we'll send it to her, but you know, we can, we can recognize that there's so many hidden treasures in women's history. Absolutely. And that we, what we did was skilled and accomplished and important. And it it was, it was in a domestic setting and we don't, value or understand that. I mean, at the time there weren't jobs, <laughs> everything was domestic, but, um, but even, even now that's, I mean, women all over the world, this is a primary needlework is one of the first things women will do in any, uh, any place where they're trying to find um, developing countries or whatever it's, um, and now sometimes by hand, but sometimes on a sewing machine, but the sewing machine wasn't, in, didn't, wasn't invented till the 1850s and didn't become an, was an expensive thing to have. So yeah, we, what women have always made extraordinary contributions, but we're, we're not, it's not, we're not in the history, which is, you know, his story. Um, that's an old trope. <laughs> we're, yeah, but, but nonetheless powerful, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I, I really want, you know, you asked, what would I want? I want women to understand and value our own work and not to deride it and not to define ourselves in terms of men's work, which women can do too, no question. But, um, but in terms of what, what we contributed and what, what we've done in, in history, which has not been, I, um, I mean, these are documents, but, um, they're, because they're, made by women they're not they're typically seen as 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 that um but yeah we have girls left an incredible legacy well i want to thank you on behalf of women for your work and making sure that it isn't lost and i hope you'll come back because we never go longer than an hour and we're at an hour and i just want to say i hope you'll come back and we can just focus on the samplers themselves more because you've got so many to show or maybe i'll come there and we'll actually film it instead with you but um but I think this is, you've got, I mean, we got a ton of great information in for everybody, but, you know, thank you, Alexander, for doing this for everyone. Well, thank you for, it was so lovely to talk to you. I know. Well, we're going to, we're going to go off record now. We're going to talk about everything. So uh, thanks everybody for watching and listening as you always do. And we hope you'll forward this to anybody who you think might find it of worth.